welcome back to Catholic Cinema Crusade. This is Nick Olzik, head writer and podcaster with Violet, my producer and editor. This is podcast number 16. It's the first of 2024. And today we are looking at the Netflix animated film Orion and the Dark. So stick around. All right. So let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Dear Lord, as we begin a new year, in the year of our Lord, Anno Dei 2024, I ask that you would please bless us and all of our listeners. Help us to love and appreciate great art. Thank you for all the gifts you have given to humanity, and please help all of us have a fantastic new year. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, this is very exciting. We are moving up, slowly but surely, in the world of podcasting and social media. We now have a comment section for all of our Spotify podcasts, and if you comment, we might read it on air and react to it. And we have our very first one from Judy in Concord, California, so let's take it away. Hi, Nick and Violet. I really enjoyed your discussion of your favorite movies for the year 2023. I was disappointed that Killer of the Flower Moon was not at least on your list of movies you wanted to see. I loved it. In fact, it was probably my top favorite for the year, even though Guardians of the Galaxy was really a fun movie. Um, So I have to agree with you on that one, Violet. It was a great discussion about American history treatment of Native peoples, how they were not seen as human beings, and not only the murders themselves, but also how it was okay to overcharge them, to deny them access to their wealth, to control them in ways that would not have been okay if they were not people of color. also had an interesting subplot about uh, the founding of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. I would not have gone to see it based on the trailers. The trailers did not interest me at all in the movie, and I see a lot of movies, but I'd heard so much good, so many good things about it that I decided to go see it, and I got to tell you, I'm really glad I did. It's a wonderful movie. I'd encourage you to go see it. All right. Thank you, Judy. So, Uh, This is a good opportunity to talk about something we haven't really talked about in the podcast, and that's how I choose the films that I see, uh, what films we review, both here at Catholic World Report, on Catholic Cinema Crusade. So (laughs) I'm at an interesting point in my life. I work full-time. In addition to doing the podcast, I am a theology teacher at a local Catholic high school full-time. Uh, my wife uh, stays at home and manages the house and takes care of the kids, so she's working really hard. And we have five children, ten and under. So needless to say, we don't have a ton of time resource, a ton of financial resource. So the vast majority of the films that I review are either screeners that are directly sent to me, usually by Christian independent filmmakers and outlets, or things that premiere on streaming services like Netflix or Amazon Prime or Disney Plus or Hulu or something like that. I do try to get to the theater as much as possible. It's just 
really, really hard in the situation I am right now to get to the theater on a, on a frequent basis. I try to do at least two reviews a month for Catholic World Report and then any extras that I can. But the simple fact is a lot of films, including really great films, I just don't get to. And that's especially hard if they come out late in the year before they have a chance to get on to the streaming services. So I've heard a lot about Killers of the Flower Moon. Obviously, it's a Scorsese film. Every Not every Scorsese film is great or good, and I certainly haven't liked every Scorsese film, but every Scorsese film is worth something in that it's always going to be compelling in some way, okay? There are some Scorsese films I love, like Hugo, which we'll actually talk a little about later. Some Scorsese films I don't really care for. I did not like The Last Temptation of Christ. I had mixed feelings about Silence. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the kind of mafia, you know, subgenre, although I recognize that he's very talented at that. But I did hear a lot about Killers of the Flower Moon, and I really do want to see it. But the fact is, it's an over three-hour epic that's very R-rated, and it came out in late December. So, you know, it literally just came on streaming, like, for rent a couple weeks ago, and I have to find a three-hour block where I can sit and watch it that doesn't involve a situation where my children might come in, you know, it's just hard to get to. There are a lot of films I really wanted to get to this year that I just didn't have the opportunity. I didn't see Oppenheimer, which I was looking forward to all year. I didn't see American Fiction. Um, there are things that are definitely still on my list, um, both in the short term and in the long term. Like, literally, I have a list of films that I'm like, okay, when all my kids grow up and they get out of my house, these are the films I want to go back and watch. Um, which is no slight on them, it's just kind of the situation that I'm in right now. So yes, I've heard lots of great things, and I am interested in seeing it, it just didn't manifest. And that's unfortunate, because I did hear it was very good. So thank you, Judy, for that comment, and again, please like, subscribe, listen to the podcast, comment to the podcast, I love discussions about film or anything else, so thank you very much. And on to our review. All right, so our film today is Orion in the Dark, and I am so excited to talk about this. There are two kinds of films I love to review. I love to review fantastic films that are amazing because they show what cinema can do, and honestly, I love to review really terrible films because they're just, just fun to rant about all the problems in the world sometimes. It's all that middle, mediocre stuff that unfortunately gets a lot of that's uh, difficult to talk about. Anyway... This is certainly in uh, the category of fantastic films. I gave this film in my Catholic World Re Report review five reels, which is the absolute highest. Usually I only do like one or two five reel films a year. Uh, these are masterpieces that will stand the test of time, and this definitely goes in this category. You know, it's a stereotype that Hollywood these days is swamped with remakes and sequels and reboots and midquels and all kinds of different things. It's hard to find something that's really fresh and original, and this is both. Um, it's wonderful in its ingenuity. It certainly plays on things that have come before, but in a fresh and interesting way. And it also does a really good job of introducing kids to different kinds of filmmaking, and filmmaking they might not be used to seeing. Easily the best film of the year so far. It's only early to February, so we still have far to go. But honestly, 
considering the fact this probably would have been my number one last year, I doubt that I'll see a better film this year. So, Orion, uh, as a premise, starts with uh, this 10-year-old child named Orion in the present day, and he has a very severe case of pantophobia. Basically, he's afraid of everything. And it starts with this laundry list of things he's afraid of. He's afraid of germs. He's afraid of crowded spaces. He's afraid of open spaces. He's afraid of talking to people. He's afraid of being called on in class. He just has this constant anxiety about everything. But the one thing he is afraid of most is the dark. And there's this great scene in the beginning where his parents are like tucking him in. They're like, you know, everything's going to be okay. We're right down the hallway. And he's like, can you leave the door open? And he's like, sure. And he's like a little bit more, and eventually they just leave the whole door open, and then he also has all these nightlights. He's absolutely terrified of the dark. And oddly enough, that night, the dark comes to visit him. And the dark kind of manifests as this cloaked figure with a huge chin, a nice Jay Leno chin, and these green glowing eyes, which sounds very menacing, but he is anything but. He's gentle, he's sensitive, he's witty, he's fun. He reminded me a lot of Seth Rogen, although he's not actually played by Seth Rogen. Um, just kind of this big, lovable oaf. And he's there with a very simple task. Of all the kids in the world, and many kids are afraid of the dark, he is the one that is the most afraid. And he's kind of giving him a bad name. So he's going to take them on this kind of uh, Dickon-esque whirlwind journey like a Christmas carol. He's going to take him around the world and show him his job and what he does and show him that the dark's really nothing to be afraid of, that the dark does lots of important things. And so we get this kind of fun whirlwind tour. He literally picks him up and lifts him out of his house and shows him all the things that he does, you know, putting the lights out everywhere. And we get to meet these other what he calls night entities, these five kind of sub-entities that help Dark with his task. They are loud noises, insomnia, sleep, quiet, and sweet dreams. And they each have a really neat design and great casting choices. My personal favorite was the guy who played Insomnia, which basically looks like a little green mosquito, and he whispers intrusive thoughts in your ear as you're about to go to sleep and wakes you up and you know you have these hypernotic jerks that wake you up and it's just really funny and it's a really great character and so as they progress through the night it becomes clear that it's not simply he's afraid of the dark he's afraid of the unknown he's afraid of suffering of pain this kind of existential dread that you don't usually think of a 10 year old but you know again orion's kind of a unique kid what purpose does the dark serve? Why can't we just have light all the time? Light is warm and life is nice. And, it, and the light entity is actually supposed to be kind of this buff, frat boy-esque guy that everybody likes and everybody's looking forward to meet. And of course, dark is a little bit jealous of. And it's an incredible look at, you know, uh, this idea of why do we need the dark? And gradually Orion learns things like, uh, without the dark, we wouldn't see the stars. Many creatures need the dark for certain things. We need the dark to fall asleep and rejuvenate so we can appreciate the light. And this becomes kind of a stand-in for we need things in our life that are difficult. We need the pain and the suffering, you know, the kind of Job-esque sort of narrative. You know, all these things serve a purpose. I was reminded of the beautiful line by Jesus where he says, Do not fear, for I have overcome the world. You will have many trials and tribulations, but do not fear. And that's basically the message of this film in a really beautiful way is 
you know, we're going to have the dark. We're going to have things in our life that are unknown, that we can't see. There's this great line towards the end that reminds me of the kind of Kilkegardian choice that at the end of Finding Nemo, we're in the whale and, you know, uh, Dory tells Marlon, it's time to let go. And he says, how do you know something bad won't happen? And she says, I don't. And he chooses to let go anyway. There's a moment that's almost exactly like that. It's a little bit different, but it's played out really similarly. And again, he has to face a choice of basically, do I accept what's unknown and what caused me pain if it's necessary to help those I love? And he chooses to do so. Okay, that's the basic fundamental story. And if Orion the Dark was just that, that would still be really good. It's a good message for kids. It's beautifully done and animated. It's fresh originally. It reminded me a lot of Inside Out, especially with the night, night, uh, night entities, a lot like the different emotions uh, that Riley had in that film. So it was kind of a harken back to the glory days of Pixar when every Pixar film felt like a masterpiece. And then we hit, you know, the late 2010s and suddenly everything went downhill. Uh, but, you know, that's a story for another time. And yet there's this second layer that just makes it from a good film to a fantastic film. And this really has to do with the screenwriter, okay? Now, I'm not a big fan of the auteur theory. I think it's a little arrogant. One of the reasons I love cinema is it really doesn't have, well, it has above the line, below the line, it doesn't have an author. You know, there's so many people with making so many creative decisions in a film, from the producer, to the director, to the writers, to the actors, to the sound designers, to the visual effects, to the DPs. You know, I'm reminded there's this great moment in It's a Wonderful Life, my favorite movie by Frank Capra, where um, he's at a party and uh, Jimmy Stewart, George Bailey, comes out and he's kind of disheveled because his brother got married and he feels kind of left behind with his life. And his uncle, Uncle Bailey, walks out and he's drunk. And he's kind of silly. He doesn't know where his hat is. And he goes to George, point me in the right direction. And George points in the right direction. He walks off stage. And then you hear this enormous clank, like a bunch of trash cans fall over. And you hear the actor from off stage go, I'm all right. I'm all right. And it's this really funny line. Wasn't in the script. What happened was uh, the actor walked off stage and a grip tripped over a wire and dropped a bunch of film canisters. And Capra, being a great director, left it in and even gave this grip a bonus because it added to this nice little moment in the film. So anyhow, I don't really like the auteur theory for that reason. And yet, it's impossible to deny that there's certain directors, certain writers that just carry with them something that affects all their different films. You usually see this with directors, like Christopher Nolan has a very specific style, Michael Bay has a very specific style, but... I can't really think of any screenwriter but Charlie Kaufman who drives a film the way he does. Charlie Kaufman, if you don't know, is just really famous for having bizarre, non-linear films that deal with the deepest questions of humanity and existential dread in a really clever way. His freshman effort, where he actually got nominated for Best Original Screenplay in his first screenplay, was Being John Malkovich in 1999. And then he had Adaptation, and then he had Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and Shindoke in New York. And all of these films, even the ones that I don't particularly like or think are weird, are just so interesting. And they play on time, and they play on you know authorship in such a compelling way. 
And that happens in this film. Now, I'm going to really spoil something big, so la 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 if you don't want to hear it, but I have to talk about this because it's so cool, okay? Halfway through the film, we learn that this whole story about Orion in the Dark actually takes place in the future as future Orion is telling this story to his own daughter Hypatia as he's putting her to sleep. So this is kind of him retelling his overcoming of the fear of the dark to his daughter. Later on in the film, the daughter inserts herself in her father's narrative in a very compelling and interesting way. And even after that narrative wraps up, the film doesn't end. It keeps going. And then it adds another layer where we learn that uh, his daughter Hypatia, is her name, is actually telling the story to her child. And so then it's like a third generation and then they get involved. And so you have this multi-generational story and it's still not entirely clear like who started the story or who ends the story, even though it does end on a, you know, a specific note. But it's this really beautiful way of showing you know, the story changes with every generation to help the child of that generation. So Orion needed something from this story, and he started it, and then Hypatia adds in her own kind of clever little way, and then Hypatia's child adds in his own clever little way. Um, I think it was him. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, uh, yeah it was him. Um, and it's it shows the beauty of family life, because these are all nuclear families with mothers and fathers and children and siblings and they're all interacting with one another on these different levels and how they all help one another and it just had this really beautiful positive effect every generation adds their own story and ultimately what it becomes in the end is not a how i overcame the dark but it's a how i met your mother story because in the end by overcoming his fear of the dark and overcoming his anxiety, he's able to go on this class field trip that he really wanted to go to but didn't think he had the courage to. And on this class field trip, he sits next to this girl he really wanted to see named Sally. They end up getting married. They end up having Hypatia. And Hypatia, of course, has her kid. And none of this would have happened. None of these generations, none of this story, if he wouldn't have had this original experience with the dark to learn to face his fears, learn to have courage... And then, you know, find his beloved. And again, it's just this beautiful thing, like, who knows how God is pulling the strings, kind of making things happen in certain ways to bring people together, to make situations work. My wife has this phrase she loves to have, because I'm, I'm horrible at this. When something bad happens in my life, I think all is lost, everything is wrong, God's not looking out for me the way as I catastrophize very easily. My wife has this line where she says, um, even though you don't know where you're going, it doesn't mean you're not going somewhere, okay? She probably says it way better than I do. Um, but basically, like, even if you can't see what God has planned, it doesn't mean there's some path that you're following. And that has been shown to me time and time and time and time again my whole life. That's been shown to me. Every challenge I've gotten through, later on I realize, oh, that's what God was doing. I still have trust issues, but hey, I'm human. Uh, and this is such a beautiful way to illustrate that. And it's something interesting that I've noticed on a lot of older directors, and in this case a writer, is they start out very weird and bizarre, sometimes even sexually perverse, or pushing the envelope of good taste or offense. But then once they themselves get married, usually later in life, uh, and have children, they kind of realize, hey, maybe those old church ladies had something going. Like, maybe family life 
is really important. I remember the first time I saw Big Fish by Tim Burton, who famously, you know, in the 80s and early 90s, made all these films about how annoying parents are and how weird kids are cool. Big Fish was the opposite. It was about learning to love one's parents and embracing family life. And, and you saw that in his adaptation of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, too. Scorsese's another good example. You just had all these hitmen and mafia movies, and then he makes Hugo in 2011, which Roger Ebert actually called his most personal film, even though it has, in the words of Stephen Colbert, a very low body count, um, you know, which is all about childlike wonder and film, and it's about this kid and his relationship with his father. I think Kaufman's doing something similar. Um, in the time since the late 90s, he got married, he had children, and now he's kind of seeing and incorporating that experience into his art. Um, and it's just great to watch that. It's great to watch a fun movie that's fun for the kids, but also just deep and profound and multi-layered and does something interesting with animation that is uncommon and has the courage to do so. And I strongly recommend you see this film with your children. Again, it's the best film of the year of the, like, three or four I've seen. Um but probably will almost definitely be in my top 10. And that is Orion the Dark. Thank you very much. Please leave a comment if you saw this film. Like, subscribe, and I hope you have a wonderful week. God bless.